So I walked out of the house one day recently to, uh, to head to work to come here, and uh, I look in the driveway next door, and uh, my neighbor is sitting in his car, brand new sports car, uh, shiny, latest model, and uh, so I walk over, and I tap on the window, and he rolls the window down, and I said, man, what in the world? And uh, he said, yeah, I just got it just a week or so, you know, j- just a week or so ago, I've been, been uh, so excited, it's my dream car, it's the car I've always wanted. He proceeded to tell me how much he paid for it and where he got it and how fast it would go and all this stuff. And I said, man, good, good for you. And that is, that's, just, that's just awesome. You know, so so uh, he had a big old grin on his face. So I jump in my 11-year-old truck and uh, <laughs> ride to work and uh, come home for lunch and uh, look over and, and th- there he sits in the driveway, his driveway, car still running. Big old grin on his face. I kind of tap on the window. He rolls it down. I said, "Hey, you, uh, you going anywhere?" He said, "Yeah, we're going on vacation." I said, I said "Well, that, that's really good. <clears throat> where, where are you going?" And uh, he said, "Disney World." I said, "Well, you know, that's a that's about five hours from here." He said, "Yeah." A big old grin. So I go in and uh, grab something to eat real quick and head on back to work. Knock off around five five thirty. So roll back home, you know and. He's still sitting in his driveway, cars running, bags are packed, big old grin on his face. I knocked on his window, rolled it down. Everything okay? Yeah. Going on vacation. I said, that's good for you. But you know, you need to do more than just put the key in the ignition and crank it up, right? You got to put it in gear and you got to give it the gas. You know my neighbor's not that stupid, don't you? You know I made that story up, right? Now, I know you're tempted to think your neighbor, <laughs> maybe, but, uh, but not mine. But isn't that a picture of the Christian life, right, for most people? I got my key in the ignition back when I was 12 years old. I still remember it like yesterday. I was sitting on the back row of our church And there was this preacher from out of town came and he preached and I felt so moved and I walked an aisle and I talked to the preacher. I put my key in the ignition that day when I was 12 years old. Or I remember going through that difficult time in my life and and I remember praying that prayer and saying those words and, and it was that day that I got saved and that was when it all started for me. And yet for many believers, far too many Christians in churches just like this, if not this one, All these years later, the key is still in the ignition. The car has already been cranked up when they accepted Christ, but that car has gone nowhere. And truth be told, if they could strip away layer after layer after layer, like like layers of an onion, and they were to look down deep into their life, most believers would have to say, at least in this country, where salvation comes too easy, where our experience with God faces very little persecution, most believers would say, at the heart of who I am, I do not experience God's power in my life on an ongoing basis. I do not have a compulsion to share my faith. I do very little to actually grow in my faith. I do not have the capacity to say that that, that God is at work actively in my life on an ongoing basis. And really, I'm just disengaged, if not altogether stuck in my Christian life. We've been recently going through this series on the Holy Spirit. This is the fourth uh, message in this series. And some of the things we've looked at up to this point 
is that the Holy Spirit is God himself. And when we think about God making himself most real in a person's life today, the way he makes himself most real in a Christian's life today is not primarily through the reading of his word, though that is a huge way. It's not just through prayer. It's not just through moving worship services. It's not just through hanging out with other Christians. But the way that God makes himself most real in a Christian's life today is through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the things that we've seen through the course of this series, one of the things that we have focused on as we move through this, is that the Holy Spirit is really the way that God ultimately, as the Holy Spirit works in us, it's ultimately the way that God draws us close to himself and then uses us in the lives of other people. One of the things we saw last Sunday was that it's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason that we can actually truthfully say and trust that God is with us always. If not for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, none of us could say that God is with me always through thick and thin, through the good times, through the bad times, through the easy times through the hard times, if not for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, none of us ultimately could say that. And so whenever we look at our Christians li- Christian lives, what we, what we don't argue with is that the Holy Spirit is with us, right? I think most of us would agree that the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the believer. Where we often miss it is that we can't say we experience his work. We can't say that, that, that we are experiencing a God-sized work in our lives, in our marriages, on our campuses, on our walks with God. We can't say that God is actively engaged in every part of our lives. And the reason for that is because we cannot say that we are controlled by or filled with His Spirit. And those are two different things. Being indwelt by His Spirit and being controlled by His Spirit are two completely different things. And so what I want us to look at this morning is just to expand a little bit of what we've been looking at. Last Sunday we looked at how the Holy Spirit indwells every follower of Jesus Christ. Today I want to take it a step further. Give you a takeaway. I hope you'll jot it down. And every, every bit of the rest of this message is going to be geared around this simple principle. You'll see it on the overhead. And the principle is this, that the key to the Christ-like life... The absolute key to the Christ-like life is that we be indwelt and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That we be indwelt by and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me just say, this. I, I said this in the first service, I believe this is going to be perhaps the most important message in this whole entire series. I believe that this message very possibly may be one of the most important messages that I will preach all year long in this church. You don't hear me say that very often. I'm not this big kind of like, you know, build it up, puff it up kind of stuff. I'm not really much into that. I believe, however, that this message is going to be one of the absolute most important messages that I will preach in this church this entire year. However, I also understand that it's not going to be a very important message to a significant number of people. Why? Because a significant number of people have no desire to have a Christ-like life. But if your desire is to live a life that is Christ-like, if you want Christ to show through every aspect of your life, if you want Christ and his, and, and, and his work to be evident in your marriage, in your workplace, in the day-to-day routine of your life, then this message is going to be extremely important for you. And so let's just kind of start at, at, at ground level. What does it mean then to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me share a couple things of what it does not mean. Here's why this is important, because for some of you, based on the way you were raised, based on some of your experiences, based on media today, technology today, 
uh, you have a picture of what it means to be controlled by the Spirit based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, and you won't know part of it. In, in a number of churches today in our country, really around the world, we go to the Philippines and we find ch- churches that are so far off base. But here in our own country, and especially on television, often you'll see an example of what it means to be filled by the Spirit that does not line up with what Scripture says. Uh, I don't know that this person has any family members here, but I'll use this as an example. If he's in your family, then you'll just have to forgive me. But Benny Hinn, anybody ever seen Benny Hinn on television? Okay, uh, You've seen the Crusades, right? And you've seen all the pomp and circumstance that goes with that, which has always been in, in interesting to me, that to have the capacity to heal on the spot, I'm wondering why he's selling tickets to Crusades and not in the hospitals, but that's a message, I guess, for another day. But you look at those services and you'll see, for example, people come up to the platform that have already oftentimes been screened and they will stand up on the platform and the TV cameras are running and the music's playing and the, and the uh, excitement is high. And you'll have that person standing usually across the platform from where um, Benny Hinn is and you'll have a couple of whoever they're called, catchers or whoever they are back there, and they'll be standing behind. And then Benny Hinn will do something like this, receive the Holy Spirit, he'll blow. And what do they do? They fall down. Anybody ever seen that on TV? Let me see your hands. A lot of people. And a lot of people think that's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. And without saying it, they would never admit it. But they think, I want no part of that. The good news is, you see no part of that in the Bible anywhere. The Apostle Paul does nothing to deliver the Holy Spirit that way. The Apostle Paul does not even deliver the Holy Spirit. No person delivers the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I depart to go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture of what happens. You, you, you read of being slain in the Spirit. No biblical evidence whatsoever. Perhaps the closest biblical evidence you could come to would be the guards at the tomb who, uh, who fell as though they were dead men whenever, uh, uh, whenever the events of the crucifixion unfolded. Those guards were not believers. There's no evidence in Scripture they were believers. There's nothing in the Bible at all that points to any significant evidence of being slain in the Spirit. That is an experience that people will, uh, that you will see played out on television, it is not a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And so whenever we speak of being controlled by the Spirit, whenever we speak of being filled by the Spirit, we need to understand that we're not speaking of demonstrations that are just plain, strange, off the wall. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary studying a class on, on cults and religious groups, and uh, one of the things it talked about was a, kind of tracking a, a, a movement called the Word Faith Movement, which is largely propagated here in this country, um, oftentimes on, on Christian television. And what you'll see there, uh, as I began to study that class, rather, when I began to really dig in and, and learn a lot of the fundamental elements of that movement, I began to study kind of the history of it. And it's interesting because you would see uh, reports of different areas where so-called revival would break out, break out around the country, around the world. And some of those revivals would involve uh, just crazy, off-the-wall demonstrations. There was one known as the Barking Revival, where people would begin to bark and act like animals. I mean, there, there was the Toronto Blessing and just a lot of just weird, off-the-wall, strange stuff, which, which is interesting to me because one of the fruits of the Spirit, as we'll see later in Galatians chapter 5, is self-control. So it's, it's funny that people can demonstrate such a lack of self-control and claim that as evidence of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, of whom who, one, one of the fruits is self-control. So what, whatever we see on TV often does not match up with what Scripture speaks about when it speaks of being filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. So you just kind of take that up, package it up, put a little bow on top, kick it to the curb. It also doesn't mean, when we think of being controlled by the Spirit, it also doesn't speak of just... Uh, um, uh, a few scattered, isolated experiences with God. It's not talking about 
isolated experiences with God and saying that that's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. You know, sometimes you'll hear dramatic stories, and God often does work in dramatic fashion, understand that. But for us to say, uh, for, for, for many they believe to be controlled by the Spirit means that, that there'll be these instances from time to time, you know, like, well, last spring I was filled with the Spirit, and then there was a time a couple years before that I was filled with the Spirit, and then there was a time, you know, and it's just these isolated instances. When we speak of being filled with the Spirit, controlled by God's Spirit, we're not talking about isolated instances. We're talking about an ongoing walk, journey with God that is characterized by being not just indwelt by His Spirit, but actually literally controlled by his spirit as well. So then the natural question is, as we, as we look at it that way, is so, so what does it look like then to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? That is a great question. And the good thing is, Scripture helps us to understand that. And so let's take a look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If not, no sweat, we've got it on the overhead there in front of you. And we've got a Bible for you out in the lobby. If you want to grab one, just stop by the uh, lobby desk and ask them to give you a copy. We'll be glad to do that. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. This is a great passage of Scripture. It's only one verse. Uh, we're not taking this out of context. It, it, it's going to mean everything that I say it means. Uh, if you want to read the larger context, you can do that on your own, reading in Ephesians chapter 5. But verse 18, it helps us to understand what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. The terminology you'll often hear in the New Testament when it speaks of being controlled by the Spirit is the terminology that says to be filled with the Spirit. And so that's what it's speaking of here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Here's what Paul says to the believers in Ephesus. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now you'll notice this is a command for every believer. And so if it is a command, it's passive, as we'll see that and see this in just a second. It is passive. It says to be filled with the Spirit. But it is a command that Paul makes, not only to the Ephesian believers, but to every believer as well. So if he is commanding us to do something, then there must be something that we must do then to obey the command. Are you with me? If Paul commands us, do this, be filled with the Spirit, then there must be something that we're responsible to do to actually accomplish this, to be filled with the Spirit. And I believe when we look at the New Testament, we find that there are a couple of things that are imperative for us to do in order to be filled with the Spirit. Let me read to you an excerpt from some notes from way back. As I was researching this message, I was looking through some notes from all the way back in seminary. I came across notes from a systematic theology class that I went through, and uh, Dr. John Hammond was the uh, professor that led this class. I went back through his notes recently, and I love the way he explains this verse through somewhat of a lengthy quote. Let's take a look at this quote. You can read along with me. There's three slides long, but I'll move slowly. He says, it's curious, speaking of this passage, Ephesians 5, 18, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. It's curious in that it is a passive command. Let yourself be filled with the Spirit. It is no human achievement, yet we play some role. Dr. Hammett says, I believe our role is to obey two other commands that we are given in regard to the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30 where we are told not to grieve the Spirit, and 1 Thessalonians 5.19, where we are told not to quench the Spirit. I believe these are the two conditions for being filled with the Spirit, for they are inherent in the nature of the Spirit. He then goes on to explain, we must not grieve the Spirit by tolerating known sin in our lives. It's not that we must be perfect, but we must not resist the Spirit's sanctifying work, for He is a holy Spirit, 
and will dwell in fullness only where he is allowed to be who he is, that is, holy. Further, we must not quench the Spirit by retaining some areas of our lives not yielded to his control. For he is God, the Holy Spirit, and will dwell in fullness only where his sovereignty is recognized. If he is allowed to be holy and sovereign, I believe he is more than willing to fill us. And then do not miss this last statement. So then, all of us really have as much of the Holy Spirit as we really want. See, there is a difference between being indwelt by God's Spirit. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within you. He indwelled you, and He's never leaving. He has sealed you, Ephesians says. You are safe and secure in your salvation. He is going nowhere. But there is a difference between being indwelt by God's Spirit and being controlled by God's Spirit. And the way Scripture seems to paint this picture, and I love this quote, you can take it down, I love that quote, is that it tells us that we do somewhat have a part to play as to the degree to which we are controlled by the Spirit of God. In other words, is there known sin in our life that we are embracing? Because if there is known sin in our life that we are choosing above God and above obedience, then that known sin that we are embracing is going to be at odds with the Holy Spirit of God. We should not expect that even though our car is cranked and it is running because we have a relationship with Christ, we should not be surprised when we embrace known sin that our Christian life is going nowhere, and we are seeing no sights of the work of God. We are experiencing nothing of the power of God, where we are stuck, still grappling with sin that we've grappled with for years and years and years. If we embrace sin, it will short-circuit not our relationship with God, because that's secure, but it will short-circuit our fellowship and our closeness to God. Try offending one of your best friends. Try offending one of your family members over and over and over and doing nothing to address it and see if it doesn't affect your closeness. You'll always be family. The relationship won't change, but your fellowship and your closeness is going to suffer. Why is it any different between us and God? And so the scriptures say whenever we choose to embrace known sin and we do not confess it and we do not reject it and we do not turn from it, The ultimate response is that Scripture calls that grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And it will bring frustration, lack of peace, a robbing of your joy, and on and on and on in your walk with God. To the point to where Jesus said in John 10.10, I'm come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. How many Christians can say, you know what, my Christian life is abundant. Man, it is overflowing, it is fulfilling. That's where my Christian life is, that is it. I am living out of the overflow. How many Christians can say that? Far too few. And a lot of it is because of embracing sin. And the Holy Spirit convicts of that sin, and yet we distance ourselves, and we push him to the curb, and we go on our daily routine, and we suffer as a result. We got a nice-looking car, and we dress it up every Sunday morning, and we put a new coat of paint on it, but it's going nowhere, and it's going nowhere fast. So the key to the Christian life is to be not just indwelt by but controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. I think this is a great place for us to to just pause and look inside for a second. 
If grieving the Holy Spirit of God, embracing known sin, not forsaking it, confessing it, and moving on, if that ultimately impacts our, rela- our, our fellowship with God, if that's what short-circuits our fellowship with God, then ask yourself, is there any area of my life where I may be grieving the Spirit of God? Where He has sought to address sin in my life, but I have chosen not to do business there. I have chosen not to listen. I have chosen not to confess and not to move on. Any area for you. Maybe it's in your financial dealings. Maybe it's in the way you run your business. Maybe it's in the way you treat your employees. Maybe it's in some of the relationships that you have, whether family or friendships, or or maybe there's unreconciled, unfinished business with some. Maybe there are heart issues with pride or greed or anger or, or unforgiveness that's there. And God has dealt with you over and over and over. And yes, he loves you. And the reason he's dealing with it and bringing it to your mind is because he has a relationship with you. And yet the Holy Spirit points it out and you continually choose as an act of your will to do nothing, to do nothing about it. You will not engage. You will not put it in drive. You will not give it the gas. You will not move forward trusting God and and, and dealing with that sin. And as a result of it, you're suffering today. You have no peace. You have no joy. You don't even want to be here today. And this sermon makes you flat miserable because of it. But you didn't used to be there. Maybe that's you. Or let's look at the other aspect of it, not, not just grieving the Spirit of God. What about quenching the Spirit of God? Is there any area of your life where you have thrown up the big stop sign and you've said, God, this is off limits for you. This is my territory, not yours. Yeah. This is my the, the dating area of my life, God. I love you. I'll worship you on Sunday. I'll sing the loudest. And by the way, I sing the best. <laughs> and uh, you know, I can teach a Bible study class too, by the way. And sometimes you know, you know that I do. But God, the dating area of my life, Friday, Saturday nights, whatever I do with my own time, with whoever it is I'm seeing, that's mine. Thank you very much. I'll call you if I need you. But this is my space. Or God, the way I run my business, you you have no place here. I'll never survive if I do business the way the Bible tells me to do business. If I do business the way you want me to do business, I'll go under and everybody else will steal my profits. And so the way I run my business, God, thank you very much, is going to be my territory. Just keep out. Just stay away. This is mine. I'll call you when I need you. But this area I'm in control of. And the list goes on and on. Are there any areas like that in your life? And there have been many areas like that for me. So I'm not preaching something that I've not ever experienced. I I know that we have a tendency when we surrender it all to Christ to sometimes take significant portions of that back again. Are there any areas like that for you? Because if there are, if there are areas of your life where you honestly, with integrity, can look in your heart and say, you know what? God's not allowed here. If there are areas like that, then you're going to suffer as a result. Don't be surprised when your car's going nowhere. Hey, the engine's cranked, the motor's running. You got a relationship with Jesus. You remember the day you gave your life to him, trusted in him for forgiveness, but you're wondering, why is there no peace? Why is there no joy? Why am I not compelled to share the gospel with those that I even love the most? Why are there all these areas of my life that seemingly are out of control and it seems as though God's a million miles away? Why does that seem to be the characteristic of my life for all these months and years? Maybe that's why. Maybe there's areas of your life. Life, and the Holy Spirit is God. He came to take over, and yet you are taking back. There's going to be issues there. And so how do we experience what it means to be filled with God's Spirit? How do we experience what it means to be controlled by God's Spirit? See, that, that's why I say it's not about getting something blown on you on a platform. It's not about some isolated experience. The Scriptures speak so much differently than that. 
It is an ongoing experience journey in life where we're constantly keeping a short account of our sins, confessing them to keep the fellowship clean between us and God, keeping a close account of the control of our lives so that we make sure that He is in control and not us. And it has everything to do with trust. Can I trust Him not to find my satisfaction ultimately in ways that are sinful? Can I trust Him to fulfill me in His ways, ways that are right and pure, It's an issue of trust, and it's an issue of control. Who's in control? Is it me, or is it God? And so the Holy Spirit comes to indwell every believer, and yet He also comes to control every detail of our lives. Paul, as he writes to the Christians in the region of Galatia, gives us a list in Galatians chapter 5. I love lists. I don't know if you're a list person. I love lists. I, I have a list in my daily planner every day. I've got stuff on there. Uh, I keep, Susie will tell you, I keep lists. I got lists all over the place. I love lists. Hey, I'll do stuff that weren't on my, wasn't on my list, and then I'll write it on my list after I, so I can scratch it out. You ever do that? That is sick, man. I'm telling you. Galatians chapter 5 Paul gives us a couple of lists, and it has everything to do with what it means to be filled with, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, what that looks like. Again, it's not an isolated instance. It's not something weird off the wall. This is what it looks like. He says, verse 16, Galatians 5. You can read with me on the overhead. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Does that mean you're never going to sin? No, it doesn't mean that. It means your life will be characterized by purity. He says, for the flesh, and when it says the flesh, it's talking about that part of who we are that sets itself against God. Uh, it's the flesh. It's part, part of our sin nature, and every one of us have it. That doesn't get taken away when you trust Jesus. You still have the sin nature, and you probably do battle with it every single day. Paul says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He then gives us the first list. Next slide. He says, now the deeds of the flesh, here's your list, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. What a great list. You love all these folks to come to your birthday party next birthday, right? Oh, what a great, beautiful characteristic of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He says, no, these are the deeds of the flesh. Uh, By the way, of which I forewarn you, just as I have already forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? Is it saying then that if I've committed one, you know, I thought it impure thought, and so there's impurity. Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? It's not saying that. What it's saying is that there are people who are so filled with the flesh that the way they live their life as an an ongoing fashion, the characteristic qualities of their life is all this. That if you could just spread out their life in in front of them and say, how is your life characterized? Basically, it would be like that. I point that way because that's where my list is. It would be like this. Paul gives a second list. The fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Can I, can I maybe give a little twist to verse 25? If we are indwelt by the Spirit, then let us also be controlled by the Spirit. That's a good list. And by the way, if, if you cannot say that this list qualifies your life in ongoing fashion... It has less to do with your circumstances, my circumstances, than it has to do with whether we're controlled by God's Spirit on a daily, ongoing basis. You see, we can be in the pit and still have joy that's not dependent on circumstances. You can be going through the absolute most difficult, rock-bottom, hard time of your life, still have peace. Because these are not the fruits of circumstance. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit has not only taken residence and indwelt us, but where He also has begun to control us, meaning we do not grieve Him with embraced sin, and we do not quench Him by taking control, where He is in control, where He is in charge, where we are responding to His lead... It's these qualities that typically come over time as a result. So let me ask you a question, 1 to 10. How abundant is your Christian life today? Some of you don't give 10s. I know that. Is it 8 or 9? If it's not abundant, it's probably not because of your circumstances. It's because you're not filled and controlled by God's Holy Spirit. So the next natural question then is, well, well then Brooks, how do I do this? There's no formula, but let me just give you a few things to consider. First thing to consider, as you think about what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, as the Holy Spirit brings to your mind and to your attention certain sins that need to be addressed, meaning you confess them to God and then you, you, put, them, you put them down, are you willing to do just that? That as the Holy Spirit brings sin to your life, to your attention, are you willing to confess it? And like the old Disney, the new Disney song says, just let it go. <laughs> you know, are you willing to do that? I would sing it, but that, that would grieve more than the Holy Spirit would grieve, <laughs> grieve a lot of you as well. <clears throat> Are you willing to do that? Holy Spirit loves you. Holy Spirit is God. He knows you better than you know yourself. And He knows where sin leads. I trust, trust me. He knows where sin will lead you. It will lead you off the rails, in the woods, broken and weary and devastated. Because the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. God knows what sin will do to you. And so when He comes to you in the Holy Spirit and He convicts you of sin, are you willing to agree with God, confess it, and let it go? 1 John 1, 9, great verse, says that if we confess our sins as Christians, He is faithful and just to forgive us, and then what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He takes it away. 
<laughs> and whenever we confess that sin, where we were left sitting in our driveway thinking we we're going on vacation with a nice, nicely dressed car running, but we're going nowhere, when we confess our sin to God, that grieving of the Holy Spirit ends and that fellowship with God is restored. It's amazing how quickly things change when we are clean before the Lord. And so where the Holy Spirit has pointed out sin in your life, be quick to confess it and then let it go. Number two, I'd say, be quick as he shows areas where you have taken control to hand those areas back over to him. Maybe even through the course of this sermon today, maybe there have been areas of your life where uh, you feel like God is leading you to, to, uh, cert, uh, to, to give up certain areas that you've tried to take into control of yourself. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your relationship. And you've tried to run those areas of your life. But today, you sense that God is telling you, you know what? Those areas are going to be better handled when you let me address them for you. You've got a decision to make where he puts his finger on those things? Are you willing no longer to quench the Holy Spirit, but to hand those areas of your life back over to him? And then number three, I would say a great thing that we can do is to ultimately spend time with God and to develop a close relationship with him. Spend time with God. You know, preachers are really good about saying, you know, you need to be in church, you need to be in church, you need to be in church. <clears throat> the reason preachers don't say uh, the, the reason we say so often you need to be in church, you need to be in church, is not because we need to feel good about ourselves so the attendance numbers don't go down. It's really not for that reason. It's because a lot of Christian leaders walk that same walk, and we've understood that when I'm disconnected from the people of God, it is often an outward sign that I'm also disconnected from God himself. I know in my heart I can't last for very long if I'm not spending time in this setting. I'm not here just because I get paid to be the pastor. I was here a long time in my life before I ever got paid to be here. Does that make sense? Starting with mom and dad who knew that it was important for me to be in church. And I've seen as I've grown older that there is a reason for that. The reason we read our Bibles is not to check the box. The reason that we go to church is not to check the box. The reason that we hang with other strong believers is not to check that box. The reason that we engage in worship is not just to check the box. It's because all of that helps to strengthen an ongoing relationship with God. And when we go to His Word, and when we sing His praises, and whenever we hang with His people, and whenever we go to church, and we're able to hear His Word proclaimed, and we're able to do all the things that Christians are supposed to do, what it does is, is it creates a climate, a culture in our hearts and in our lives where we then are receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we're disconnected from church, we're disconnected from his word, we are not engaging in worship, then we will not recognize the, 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 the uh, voice of the Holy Spirit when he says, that sin needs to go. We're going to say, who's that? <laughs> we're not even going to recognize that voice. Why? Because we've not been spending time cultivating a relationship with God. And so where he points out sin, be quick to confess it, let it go. Where he points out areas of control, be quick to hand those over. And ongoing, 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 spend time in his house with his people, reading his word on a daily basis, engaging with him in prayer, developing, cultivating a close walk with him. So that when his spirit, on a daily basis, seeks to do business with us, we are ready and willing to do business with him. And by the way, if we do that enough, the Bible has a phrase for those kinds of people. It said this of the people in Acts chapter 6, what many say were the prototypes of the first deacons. It said it of Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, they were people, what? Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Spirit. It's not an isolated experience. It's not weird and crazy and off the wall. It's not delivering him by the blowing of 
It's not that. It's not. It's a walk with God. It's more than sitting in the driveway with a nicely painted car that says, I prayed that prayer. It's a journey with a destination of living a life that looks like Jesus as a result of walking in the control of the Spirit. Jesus would make an interesting statement in John chapter 7. It was the, the end of proceedings, the feast, very monumental occasion. John captures it for us, and I close with this passage, and we're done. John chapter 7. Notice what Jesus says. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, it sounds a lot like John 10, 10, right? I'm come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, will be an abundant life, will be a fulfilled life. Notice what he says in verse 39, the next verse. Next slide. He says, but this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. You need an abundant life? Are you stuck in the driveway of your Christian life? Does that make sense? Is that where you sit? No peace, no joy, no mission, no purpose, no real sense and experience that God is at work in your life, molding, shaping, using you. Is that where you sit? Then just maybe it has more to do with whether or not you are grieving or quenching and a lot less to do with your circumstances. Let's pray. God, such an important, such an important component to our Christian walk, understanding your Holy Spirit and how he works. And Lord, I pray right now for those that, are, that have been here through this service, Lord that before we begin to sing, that right where they sit, they would just take a moment to take inventory. Lord, that your spirit would speak into our lives and show us any sin that we have embraced, that we have exchanged fellowship with you for that sin. And God, help us to understand that where your Holy Spirit right now is putting, is putting our attention on that sin. Help us to understand that he does that for our good. That we might confess it, Make it right and let it go. Lord, as we take inventory, help us to even look as well at the areas of our lives where we may be in control. It takes a lot of faith to give up control. And yet, Lord, you're nothing but trustworthy and faithful, if anything else. God, you've proven your trustworthiness to us. Who are we to try to take control of areas of our lives, whether it be our finances or our families or our dating lives or decision, whatever. Lord, it's just ridiculous for us to think that we can control things better than you. You've given us your spirit, Lord, to show us, in part at least, those areas of our lives where we've taken control back. Really, those areas need to be under your control. Lord, we, we quench your spirit when we try to take control. And so, God, wherever you're showing us right now, Lord, maybe even a prayer would be appropriate just to tell you that today we give this area back. Lord, we know as we do this, long enough, day after day, week after week, the weeks roll to months and the months years to the point to where people look at us and they say, you know, something is different. It's as though you're filled with, you're filled with God. 
And Lord, that's exactly what takes place. You didn't come just to indwell the Christian. You came to take over, to fill us and control us, and you do that through your Spirit. Lord, help us to do business with you today. And Lord, for those who don't know Christ, help them to understand the first step is to own up to their sins and to confess them to you. And then to invite Jesus to take his payment on the cross and to apply it to their sin. That they would trust Jesus alone, inviting him to come and to forgive and to take over. And so God, whatever we need to do, these next few minutes are so important. Where people can leave here changed. People can leave here so differently than when they can come in. They could, they could look back and say, you know what? This was the day when my Christian life went to a new level. Not because of some system on sale for $200 or some website they found or devotion book they came across, but by just understanding what it means to be filled with your spirit. Do your work today, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.